Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Have you received either an email or a snail mail or both um, from me this week that announcing that in five to nine months I'll be retiring from this position uh, as, as, your, as your pastor? As you can imagine, Janice and I spent time praying and thinking about this. There were a lot of factors that go into, into the decision, but and I'd love to get together in the months to, that come with you for coffee or a meal, and you know we can talk about that. But I, I want you to know several things. First of all, I am convinced that this is what's best for CPC. Every day I wake up and I ask myself, do I still think that's the right thing? And I go, absolutely. So very much at peace about this. God leads people in different ways. My adult life, he's kind of always led me in big decisions with either a sense of peace or not a sense of peace, and I have a great deal, I have peace about this, it's the right thing. Uh, I think a year from now, uh, I know for some people it's kind of been a shock or a surprise, but I think a year from now, we'll look back and we'll just really see God's hand in this and, and the wonderful future he's got planned for us. But we need your help. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do several things. First of all, would you just pray that this transition will go really well and do all that you can to support the elders and the staff. Please don't pull back. That's what people sometimes do in situations like this. Lean in. Uh, pray more. Serve more. Give more. You know in the Apostles' Creed, when we declare that, we say that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic just means universal. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, believe in his church, too. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against Jesus' church. This church is a refuge for the weary. It's a, it's a place where sinners find forgiveness. It's a community, and we'll get into this later in the message, where people feel loved and encouraged and, and they become like Jesus. So many of you I know have vowed to be committed to, to Jesus' church and, and to this expression of Jesus' church. This is our opportunity to live out that commitment. To Jesus died for his church. Don't let your engagement and commitment wane because of preferences about sermons or lighting or music or whatever it might be. Instead, increase your engagement. Increase your commitment during this time. Pray that God will lead us to his wonderful choice for the next senior pastor. Pray hard, pray daily. I am so excited about the future of CPC. I am confident that our best years are ahead. I'm grateful that I got to be your senior pastor for 14 years. I'll still be around for some months. Uh, I'm honored. Join me and getting super excited about what's next. Let's do this well. Let's trust God. Let's pray every day. Let's look to the future with confidence and enthusiasm because we serve a great God, and this is a wonderful church. Okay, when I was writing that, I was thinking, how is it going to transition to the message? <laughs> so I have two transition things. The first is, those of you who are on the inner aisle, could you please pass the pew pad, the friendship pad? Just put your name there. It helps us to serve you better. And if you could do, we're trying it for a couple months, see how it goes. Please help us with that. And as you're doing that, <clears throat> my second transitional element to change gears is that I'm going to sing a bit of a song to you. Mixed emotions out there, okay. Um, it is probably the most famous song in history about the topic, that, about the negative side of the topic that we are talking about today. And if you were raised Presbyterian, I really don't expect, and if you, when you recognize this song, if you were raised Presbyterian, I don't expect you to raise your hand, just give a little nod. 
If you were not raised Presbyterian, when you recognize the song, just raise your hand up and down. And if you're actually extroverted like me, you feel free to sing along, okay? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. It's on the screen. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Many of you don't know that Otto the... Oh, thank you. Many of you don't know that Otto, the sound technician, is, he's had somewhat of a career singing, and the two of us are thinking of hitting the road in a few months. <laughs> Just kidding, Janice. Now, the Beatles released Eleanor Rigby when I was 13. Now, younger people, I can't believe it. I hated my parents' music, but younger people, they actually love my music, like the Beatles and the Stones and all these other things. So, but, and so some, probably many of you had already heard that or a, uh, a cover of it. Um, but some of you were around when that was released about 50 years ago. Do you remember where you were or how old you were? I was 13. 50 years ago, the Beatles struck a chord with a song about loneliness. This year, for the first time in history, the British decided that loneliness has become such a huge problem that they now have for the first time a minister for loneliness. And her job is she's spending money developing programs here and there to try and lower the indice of loneliness in Great Britain. So is loneliness really worse than in the past? How bad is it? What does the Bible say that God offers to combat loneliness? Are Christians, even though they're Christians, are they still lonely? Now, I'm going to quote a bunch of different studies to you. The experts are convinced that loneliness has gotten worse, and here's what they're saying. A 2010 survey said that one-third of Americans over age 45 are lonely. A massive study was released this year. 20,000 people were surveyed. It's their self-reporting, saying about themselves. Two-fifths of them, 40%, reported that they lack meaningful relationships and companionship, and that they feel isolated from other people. Now, when I was growing up, we often associated loneliness with old people. The study, one study compared loneliness among people roughly 16 to 25 years of age with people over 72. Guess what? The study showed that there is a higher percentage of lonely people among the young group than the people over 72. Who knew? And a similar study in the, UK, in the UK had similar results. Well, what do the experts think are some of the causes for increased loneliness? Okay, now this is going to sound really dumb, but it's actually profound. Many people feel lonely. Many more people feel lonely because more people are alone. People eat alone. 57% of the meals in this country are eaten alone. Roughly a third of all dinners are eaten alone. And part of that is because we now have 30% of U.S. households 
that are comprised of one person. Not a single parent, one person. I recently read about a church that urges everyone to develop a meal ministry where once a week you break bread with somebody from your church. And once a week you break bread with somebody who isn't involved in a church. I think that's a great way to be the church. Now, I think that probably all of us, those of you who are very involved in the digital world, we've probably all kind of guessed in recent years that because people are taking their phones, spending so much time on screens, that that has resulted in increased isolation and loneliness. A 2017 study of 1,700 people showed that the people who do spend the most time on media screens, they had twice the odds of self-perceived social isolation, loneliness. A 2015 study showed that people who spend more than two hours a day on social media, that that can lead to anxiety and depression. The doctors have actually coined a phrase called Facebook depression. That people who are involved in Facebook a lot seem to be less satisfied with life. Now part of that is because what do people put on Facebook? I don't do Facebook, but what do they do? I am told, you know, people take pictures of everybody happy and having great things in Disneyland and, you know, traveling and so forth. So, of course, everybody looks and goes, I'm not doing that. I'm left out. Or they're happier than I am. Now, it's not all bad. The studies also show that particularly for grandparents and just about everybody, that there's some connecting that goes on, like pictures of their grandchildren or pictures of their friends and so forth, that that actually does enhance uh, their feeling of being connected. So it's about striking a balance. Now, Most people will say that suicide is connected in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, to loneliness. And the the CDC, the U.S. Center for Disease Control, reports that suicide rates have now increased by 25% from 1999. That's a 20-year period that's very significant. They think it's significant. Um, Behavioral scientist Clay Rutledge, we're going to put a long quote on, on screen about him in a minute, had a great article about this in the New York Times this week. He makes the connection between suicide, meaninglessness, and loneliness. And he affirms that part of the suicide crisis is a crisis of meaninglessness. And I I agree with him. I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus or not, but I think he's got a lot of really good insights in the article. This is a long quote that we're going to put on screen from Professor Rutledge. How do we find meaning and purpose in our lives? There are many paths, but the psychological literature suggests that close relationships with other people are our greatest existential resource. Regardless of social class, age, gender, religion, or nationality, people report that the life experiences they find most personally meaningful typically involve loved ones. Critically, studies indicate that it isn't enough to simply be around or even liked by other people. We need to feel valued by them, to feel we are making important contributions to a world that matters. This helps us explain why people can feel lonely and meaningless even if they are regularly surrounded by others who treat them well. Merely pleasant or enjoyable social encounters aren't enough to stave off despair. Studies have shown that the more people feel a strong sense of belongingness, the more they perceive life as meaningful. Other studies have shown that lonely people view life as less meaningful than those who feel strongly connected to others. Isn't that interesting? 
In addition, researchers found a lot of connections between loneliness and, and drug abuse or alcoholism or unhealthy behaviors and, and, and addictions. The former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy wrote earlier this year in the Harvest Business Review, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. Did, did you... Loneliness, worse for your health than 15 cigarettes a day and obesity. Do you understand what this means? You will live longer smoking cigarettes and eating brownies with people who love you than eating broccoli by yourself. I know I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Okay, so how does a biblical worldview approach this question of loneliness? What does God say about it? And well, what help does he offer? This whole question of loneliness is really central to our understanding of reality and to, to who we are as people. What did God say right after he created Adam? It is not good that man should be alone. Did he mean that nobody should be single? No. You, you can be single and not be lonely. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. For my money, their lives probably produced more positive impact than anybody else in the history of the world. So it's not about whether you're married or single. Married people are lonely sometimes too, depending on the marriage. When God says it's not good that, a man should be, that the man should be alone, that is because we were created to live in community. We were created to love and be loved. What did Jesus say are the greatest two commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The primary reason that God created you is love. He, he, he created you so you could experience his love and then you could love him and you could love each other. That's his primary reason. Our summary of what we are about at CPC is be loved, love God, love others. And we would love if you would want one. We have these wonderful travel mugs and they'll be out on the table and just sits, you know, mine sits there on my desk, just reminds me all day, be loved, love others. And we'd love to have you, have you grab one and use it all the time just so that you will remember that. That's kind of our message. Um, but what else does the Bible tell us about reality? Well, we live in a broken world. We're flawed. We experience love and we give love in flawed ways. Relationships are where our brokenness tends to show up the most and bring the most pain because of our selfishness or our self-absorbed nature, our tendencies. We don't automatically love other people well. And this shows up in our marriages and with our kids and with our siblings and with our parents and, and with our co-workers. And it shows up in our church, every church. Shows up in our small groups. It's just the consequence of living in a fallen world. So if we don't get supernatural power from God and training, we don't develop into more loving people, or at least not as well as we could. And we'll actually tend to hurt the ones we love most. We'll hurt them the most. But the good news is that God does offer us that power and training. Would you open an app or a Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 
Actually, Second Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 16 so I can kind of set the context. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. We live in a fallen world, so our bodies get older, they don't last forever, they decay, but God is transforming our character and renewing our souls daily. Verse 17, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. C.S. Lewis actually used that phrase, weight of glory, to write one of his, as the title for one of his most famous essays. And this is similar, I'm often talking about Romans 8, very similar to, to that, about how you know, we have suffering, but then glory is coming. Um, many people, the suffering includes bouts with loneliness. But God's experience of glory is coming. Well, what does that mean? What's, what's that include? Well, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be enthralling as we, as we see God's power and his beauty and his goodness. But probably the thing that will be the most glorious will be as you stand there in God's presence and just this love just washes over you and you feel valued and appreciated and encouraged and, and you'll be transformed. You're, you're, it's just going to be beyond what we can imagine and you will never again feel lonely. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. What he's saying is all of this that we see is temporary. So don't hold on to it too tightly. Look to what is unseen, what's coming. In this life, the Bible's really clear. It's a fallen world. Expect some affliction and some tribulation and some persecution, some trials, some difficulties, including some loneliness. But always remind yourself that it's transient. It's temporary. And if you've believed what God has told us that, and, and, you've, and you've gotten right with him by putting your trust in Jesus and turning your life over to him, making him your king, then this temporary transient world that you're experiencing, including some loneliness, it's going to be replaced by love and awe and fulfillment and joy and never again feeling lonely. So now we're to verse, chapter 5. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, Paul is using a metaphor here. The tent is our physical body. Um, Verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Again, similar to Romans 8 where he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. They're just, we are tied to this broken world for now it's hard. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, you have a mortal body right now, it's in decay. You are going to get a body like Jesus had after he resurrected. Permanent, eternal, perfect, not only never again lonely, never again sick, never again die. Good things are coming. Verse 5, and this is the key one that we're looking at today for our topic. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
Now, how many of you ever put a down payment on a car or a house or an appliance or a vacation? Many of you have. I saw that underwhelming show of hands. <laughs> Presbyterians. In, now, in theory, and it's less so today because of various laws, but in theory, that down payment used to mean you're coming back, you're going to pay the whole thing. You would never give up that down payment. They can count on you. They can hold that piece of clothing for you. They can hold that appliance. They can hold that house. You're going to come back and you're going to pay for the whole thing. You'll keep your word. Well, God has given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee, and he will keep his word. He, if you have given your life over to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. It was fun this week. Uh, one of Someone from another, the, the previous service, they, they had talked to me earlier this week and shared how when they came to Jesus, they were just beaming from ear to ear and just so excited as they experienced peace and forgiveness and, and the joy of the Lord. That's what happened to me the night I gave my life to Jesus. Just couldn't contain myself as I sensed this inflooding of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen to everyone. People experience God in different ways. I've had many experiences of the Holy Spirit just sensing, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, whether it's praying for someone who's healed. Oftentimes when I teach or preach, one of the things I like about doing this is I can just kind of feel the Holy Spirit working. You know, we pray every week that when you come here, you will feel the Holy Spirit, that he will speak to you, that you'll sense some kind of nudge or encouragement or conviction, whatever it might be. So we hope that's happening for many of you. That's what we're praying. But our experiences of the Holy Spirit, they vary a great deal from person to person. But it is meant to be clear to you. Because how can it be a guarantee if you say, I've never experienced the Holy Spirit? The Apostle John writes, And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God abides in you. You should be able to sense his presence. All the time, most people can't. But at least some of the time. You should be able to look back and say, oh yeah, I was very confident that was the Holy Spirit here and here and here. And that serves then as a down payment, a guarantee that you have God inside of you. Now sometimes people go through a difficult season, what we call a desert, and it may be months that they just really are not sensing God's presence. And we understand that. It feels like their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Um, that can be difficult. But remember, we've only received the down payment. We've not received the entire experience of God or of the Spirit that we're going to get, but we've received enough to give us confidence that we belong to Him, that He's in us. When Jesus gave us our mission, what did He say? He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always Amen. to the close of the age. Jesus promises he will never leave you or forsake you. And this is really the first, we're, we're taking, a, it's just a three-week series of three of God's promises, and this is the first one, God's presence he promises that if you've turned your life over to Jesus, he will never leave you, never forsake you. So that means you, in reality, are never alone. 
So if we're never alone, but Jesus is always with us, why do Christians still experience loneliness? Well, first, because of the whole, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee only as a down payment. It's not the fullness yet. God wants us to trust in his goodness and his trustworthiness even when we feel lonely, even when we can't feel him with us. Secondly, it may seem like it's taking a long time for Jesus to do everything he's going to do, but it may be that he is in the process of redeeming, of rescuing billions of human beings, and that's why we're going on century after century. And he gives you the opportunity as this fallen world continues. He's, he's in the process of rescuing. He's in the process of fixing this world, building a new world. But he also, we look at it as awful, but it really isn't. He gives us the opportunity to live heroically. That just as he suffered for the church, he allows us to suffer for the church, for people who don't know him yet, so that they'll, they'll see and they'll want to know him. They'll, they'll want that experience. And part of that suffering can ex- include the disappointment with each other because we irritate each other because we're not that good at loving each other yet and the resulting loneliness that comes from that. And that's not just true in the church. It's actually probably much more impactful in our other relationships, isn't it? I, I know some of you have been betrayed by a spouse or some of you children who don't want have anything to do with you. They've rejected you or... You know, students with bullying or bad-mouthing of you, things that are very unfair and um, things that isolate us, and then we experience bouts of loneliness. Also, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Bible says you'll be persecuted and um, sometimes ostracized. I can remember various times when, you know, I'm a super extrovert, and so I can remember times when in college and other times when um, I didn't get invited to certain parties because I was a follower of Jesus. And that, that can also, that kind of ostracism can also produce some loneliness. It all comes with being in a fallen world. But being a follower of Jesus means that in actuality you are never alone. It means the Holy Spirit is with you at all times and sometimes you will sense His presence and love, but it does not mean that you will never feel lonely or alone. I'm sure there's some mystics or maybe here are some very mature followers of Jesus who always feel God's presence. Brother Lawrence was very famous for that. His collection of writings was put together into Practicing the Presence of God, one of the bestsellers of all time. And he went for years saying, I can't remember the last time I didn't feel God's presence. But that's unusual. Most of us have bouts of loneliness. Well, what help does God offer? Well, as we said, first he fills you with his spirit. You are not alone, even if you're feeling like you are alone. He promises you his presence. And there will be times when you'll sense that presence strongly, and you'll be able to look back on that and remember it, and it should encourage you, and it should be a guarantee. It should be a down payment. He'll also use his supernatural power to help get you through it when you're feeling lonely and to transform you so that hopefully less and less lonely as time goes on. Maybe not Brother Lawrence, but maybe moving in that direction. But do you know what else he gives us? And this is what I want to focus on the rest of the message. 
He gives us each other. With all of our flaws and the ways that we irritate each other, we are a beautiful community. It's beautiful when I look at you guys on, on the patio on, on Sundays and I see you actually, you know, genuinely interested in strangers and listening to them and, and uh, intently and loving on them and even remembering their names sometimes. It's it's thing. But what I find especially beautiful in our community one of the, is one of the greatest things that God offers to help combat loneliness. And that's how you guys know each other and still love each other in your small groups. And I got to visit a bunch of them this spring, not all of them, but some of them. And I'm just constantly impressed at how you guys love each other in your small groups. It's just, you know, and everybody thinks their small group's the best one. That's always fun to see. Um, I commend you for loving and encouraging each other. And those of you who haven't yet gotten into a small group, please think and pray about that. Plan to get in one later this year. You need to feel loved. It's one of the best things you have to combat loneliness. So finishing our passage, if you're not still there, that's okay, but verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Kind of a classic passage, this 2 Corinthians 5, but there in verse 6, so we are always of good courage. When do you need to say we are of good courage? When things are difficult, when they're not going that well, that's when you say, be of good courage. When we feel lonely, when we remind ourselves it's temporary, it's transient. We're going to be with the Lord and His glory. We're never going to feel lonely again. We're going to feel so loved and encouraged and we're going to be transformed. You're going to actually be super interesting to all of us. We're going to just have this fantastic community. In the meantime, we have a lot to do to welcome others into this experience of community. And that brings me to the fantastic opportunity that we have as a church. Many of the people around us, according to the studies Many of the people around us who have not yet become followers of Jesus, they're lonely. They're looking for community. They're looking for people who will love them, warts and all, and that's us. We've been practicing that. They also need the Holy Spirit and God's presence to just kind of supernaturally encourage them and take some of that loneliness away. We have what people are looking for. You have what people need. Think about this. Once a week, Break bread with somebody from this fellowship. Once a week, another time, break bread with somebody who's not involved in a church anywhere. You have what they need. You could start by inviting some people over who aren't followers of Jesus and just having a meal or two, or maybe eventually you, you morph that into uh, listening to an Alpha video and discussing it, or a Tim Keller video, or maybe you figure something else out that's even better for your friends. Ask. God to show you what to do. The Spirit lives inside of you. Let Him lead you in this. I heard another story this week about a person who became a follower of Jesus, not after going and hearing a bunch of sermons, but after becoming involved in a small group at a church nearby. 
So think about it. Pray about it. See what the Holy Spirit inside of you leads you to do. You may think of something much better, but don't bury your treasure. You have what those lonely people need. Invite them in. Some of you may remember this spring we were talking about various people from the Old Testament. Elijah the prophet was one of them. And you may remember that on Mount Carmel he had this amazing powerful experience of God and then he had to flee for his life and he gets in the wilderness and says, God, I'm the only one left and he's lonely. God, just take my life. Elijah, one of the most powerful, most honored prophets in the Old Testament, experienced loneliness. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane He's just being tempted. He doesn't want to go to the cross. It's going to be so awful. And he just asked his disciples to just be with him. And he looks up and they're asleep. And he says, could you not watch one hour with me? Lonely. The Beatles released Eleanor Rigby when I was 13. It was the most lonely period of my life. I had become an atheist a year earlier. Uh, No one really knew me because I wasn't telling them that. Uh, and I was afraid if they did know me, they sure wouldn't like me. They'd reject me. I hung out with a bunch of guys. It wasn't that I was alone, but I was, we just were awful to each other. Every other sentence, we were cursing each other. We were lying. We were cheating. We were sometimes physically fighting. And uh, I was alone. I felt lonely, and I was afraid of death, and I felt that life was meaningless. This went on for three years. Then when I was 15, many of you know that my father committed suicide, I started searching both for God and for meaning. And over the next year, through Young Life, and Young Life is a ministry to high school kids, very similar to how we do our student ministries here. Um, I studied the Bible. They fed me donuts and hot chocolate. Um, I experienced being loved. I experienced community. It wasn't that they answered all my questions. They loved me into the kingdom. At the end of that year, I became convinced Jesus was who he said he was, and I turned my life over to him. Today, there are people, both young and old, who are lonely. They need the presence of God. They need to experience your love. You have what they need. So would you go now and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to share with them what they need? Would you join me in prayer? The band can come on up. Holy Spirit, we are often uh, not courageous in making available to people who are not yet your followers what they really want and need. Would you please show us in a variety of ways how we can do that? Would you nudge us? Would you make it clear? Would you give us the courage, uh, the commitment of time, whatever it takes, that we might, whether it's break bread or discuss or whatever with the people that we know around us who don't know you yet so many of whom whether they know it or not they really need community so Lord guide us guide us we ask this in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening for more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.